All right, kids, time for Super Church. Good morning, everybody. What a great God we have. I'm so grateful we can sing of his praises. Uh, take your Bibles and turn, out, turn, turn over to Matthew chapter 1. If you've been with us for a while, we've been going through the book of Matthew for like three years and three months, something like that. And we, we finished last week, kind of, right? But uh, it's, pretty, it's been pretty sweet, in, in, at least in my opinion, really sweet. Um, it was really clear to me back in 2020 that the Lord said, go back to basics. Just go back to basics. I mean, churches have different seasons that they live in. Churches have different places that they live in. Um, COVID brought in a, a, a great deal of interesting things into the church, things to deal with, lots of opinions, lots of, lots of ungodliness, I won't lie, a lot of rebellion, a lot of arrogance. It was a, it was a tough time. And so as I just really sought the Lord's direction, you know, one of the things he just said is go back to the basics. And really that's, that's the gospel, right? That's Christ. There's no getting away from that. And I don't ever want to get away from that. I'm not ever going to apologize for keeping us in those basics because Christ is life. Just that simple. And so we've literally gone through every passage and every verse to the best of my ability anyway. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you go through a book over that amount of time, you kind of lose perspective. Like, what's this book about? And what is God trying to tell us? I mean, we, we tend to be a people that like to deal with individual situations anyway with the Word of God. And so we don't necessarily like to think about bigger, broader pictures sometimes. And, and I like to get into the Word. I, I think we ought to study the Word verse by verse the way we have. But I want to just take us back through today. I, without a doubt, the Lord laid this on my mind for several weeks. Now, probably, probably a couple of months, I knew we were going to finish up, and then we were going to go through this, if you will, a recap. But I hope it's more than a recap. Like, I want you to hear the message of the gospel. I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write and so we're going to just go kind of overview the book of Matthew. I am not going to go through every verse, I promise you. I am not going to go through every chapter, I promise you. Some of you are going to be disappointed because I don't talk about your favorite part of the book of Matthew, but there will be others that are disappointed that I don't talk about their favorite part of the book of Matthew. But I am going to talk about it's all about Christ. It is all about Christ. And so let me pray, and we'll get started. Lord Jesus I'm grateful this morning for you. It is sometimes, Lord, hard to wrap my mind around your goodness and your mercy, your love and your grace. It's hard to put you together in your deity, your glory and your power your judgment and your wrath and your tender love for the broken and needy and your ability, Lord God, to, to control and live outside the brokenness of this world and even, Lord, to save us in this broken world. But I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word this morning that you would speak in deep and powerful ways I pray that you would draw the lost to salvation today, and I pray that you would 
encourage your church and strengthen your church. And I pray that above all, the name of Jesus would be exalted here today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter one begins in this incredible way. And I mean, I just want us to see uh, literally God introducing his son through the Holy Spirit in chapter one and chapter two. But chapter one, verse one says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now I'm not gonna go all the way through that genealogy. You'll be happy about that. But, but just verse one, I mean, here is, this man, Matthew, Matthew knew Jesus very well, walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus, heard Jesus teach, but I mean, this is the Holy Spirit, right, speaking through Matthew. And the first thing that he wants us to hear through Matthew is that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And it's so powerful, right? I mean, here's Matthew's writing to Jewish people, and the first thing that the Holy Spirit says right is that Jesus is the Messiah, that means the Christ. That means the Savior. Then he's telling the Jewish people, he's telling us that the one who had been waited on, the one that he'd been looking for, the one who was the answer to the brokenness of the world, the one who had come since the beginning of the world to save us from the sins that had destroyed us since Adam and Eve sinned against God and sin came into the world and death came into the world. I mean, the Messiah is Jesus Christ. He's the son of David, the rightful king of Israel. He is going to reign. He is going to rule. He's the son of Abraham, the father of all faith. And you can see that in Romans chapter 4, and you can see that in Galatians chapter 3. I mean, he's talking about the one who is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the promised one. And, and I love how this book starts. If, if you're going to have a powerful introduction, let God just say, you want to see the one that matters, that makes the difference, that's worthy of worship? It's Jesus. Then he goes on in chapter one over to verse 18. And he says, now at the birth, excuse me, now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Right? This child is not like any other child in the history of the world, not like any other child. He was God's child, conceived by the Holy Spirit for God's glory. And then it says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now, or now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, this Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, but then the introduction carries into God saying, man, he's, he's not of human descent, at least on his father's side. I mean, this is a child created by God in the womb of his mother Mary, and he's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the fulfillment of what Isaiah said was a child that would be born. They'd bear a son, the virgin would bear a son, they call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
and he'll save his people from their sins. Now all of a sudden, right, Matthew is writing things that are outside the realm of human understanding. I mean, this is shocking things. Maybe you know the Bible. Maybe you've heard the gospel many times. Maybe you've read about Jesus being born of a virgin and being conceived by the Holy Spirit. But can you imagine the first time reading this? I mean, God is not shying away from who Jesus is right from the very beginning, which is pretty powerful because then he's going to follow up by showing us why we know who he is. And so he tells us that this is God with us, Emmanuel, shocking truths and blessed truths about who Christ is. Over in chapter two, we could go through some more. We won't go too far. We read about the wise men coming, the magis coming from the east and and how they saw his star in the sky. I mean, you, you talk about mundane, right? God just sets a star in the sky to let men know where the king of Israel is, where the king of the Jews are, where the king of kings is, where the Lord of lords is, and they follow it for the simple purpose of bowing down to worship him. You read this account and they didn't do anything but that. They got their gifts out, they went in before a child two years and under, and they worshiped him. Not because he was two years and under, but because he was the Lord. He was the Messiah. But we also see in chapter two the very first signs of the battles that would come Christ's way because he'd come to save the world. And in that same passage, we read that the wise men went back a different way because God had shown them that Herod was going to do something horrible to Jesus. And so they left another way. An angel came and told Joseph, take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill him. And then Herod went out to Bethlehem and killed all the boys, the boys two years and under. And we see kind of lined up from the beginning, the battle between good and evil, right? I know we think sometimes that evil's a new thing. <laughs> it kind of makes me laugh. Like this is the worst time ever because evil's so apparent today. No, evil's been evil all along. And so Matthew, through the Holy Spirit's setting up this incredible picture about who Christ is without being afraid to tell us that there's going to be a battle for his life, for his work, for his salvation, for his reign, for his rule, and don't you miss it for us and our salvation. So we first were introduced to Jesus, and he is amazing. But if that's not even enough, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 7, 17, it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he, was, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, and behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now you have the finish of the introduction with God the Father speaking audibly and saying, this is my Son. I mean, of all the things, when we begin to read the book of Matthew, we should pay attention to what God's saying about Jesus because it's not casual. He's not saying, form your own opinions. He's not saying, understand what your little mind can comprehend. He's not saying, put things into your intellectual abilities. He's saying, I want to introduce you to my son, 
I want to introduce you to Emmanuel. I want to introduce you to the one who's going to save his people from their sins. I want you to introduce to you the one who I'm well pleased with. And we start paying attention, I hope, as we look at the beginning of the book of Matthew. Well, then we get into Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life. And one of the most important statements we have in chapter 4 is verse 17. And I love this statement. It's powerful. It's something we need to pay attention to. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, they'd killed John the Baptist. And now Jesus' time was coming. John had been preaching a baptism of repentance, but now Jesus steps on the scene And what is Jesus' message to the world? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is simple. It means you've got to change direction. It means you're walking this way, and you have to stop and walk this way. You have to do that with your head. You have to do that with your heart. You have to do that with your life. And the reason you have to repent, the reason Jesus said repent, is because if you don't, Luke 13, 3 says, you shall all likewise perish. You see, the problem is, is that most of us hate the message of repentance, don't we? We're stubborn. Any, anybody here besides me stubborn? I, I know a couple of you are. But that comes because we're sinners. Uh, we, we're stubborn because we're sinners. We want our own way. We want to have our own things. We want to think our own thoughts. We want to live our own lives But if you're going to have eternal life, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to change because you're walking away from God because you're a sinner. And the only way to walk toward God is to turn away from your life, your ways, to trust in Jesus Christ and walk toward God. That's what repentance is, and that was Jesus' message. I know people today claim that Jesus accepts everybody that you don't have to do anything to be accepted by God, that you don't have to do anything to have eternal life. You can live as wickedly and as wildly and as selfishly as you want to, and God's going to let you have eternal life. But it's not true, and Jesus said so. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And remember, he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Well, we move on into chapter 5. And we begin to, oh, excuse me, I'm, I missed some. You'll have to bear with me. But in chapter 4, verse 19, I don't want to miss this either. It says, and he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so before we get to the teachings of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to read that Jesus purposely chose disciples. Have you ever really thought about that? I mean, have you really considered the fact that Jesus was walking down the seashore by the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two fishermen, Peter and Andrew. And then he sees two more later on, James and John, two sets of brothers. And he, he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Why would Jesus do that? Well, first of all, by the grace of God, that's how he calls us to become his disciples, to become his followers. But secondly, Jesus wants others to know who he is and he wants to use them to tell others about who he is to become fishers of men. I I want you to know that that's not optional. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you're going to become fishers of men. 
I, I know that when we look at the word of God, many times when it comes to evangelism or fishing for men or sharing our testimony or whatever it is, we have set that aside as an optional thing in our relationship with God. Because God knows us, right? Does God know us? And so we say to God, God, you know I can't speak in front of anybody. And you know, God, I'm not good with words. And you know, God, that there'd be somebody better to witness instead of me. And you know, God, that you really made a mistake by calling me to be a fisher of man. I don't know if you know much about your Bible, but if you turn to the book of Exodus, chapters, I think it's three or four, could be five or six, I'm not quite sure. That's exactly what Moses told God when God said, Moses, you're going to go be used by me to deliver the people from Egypt. And finally, God got angry with Moses. Listen, if you are a disciple of Christ, you will be a fisher of men. You will be a fisher of men. Because Jesus Christ cares about men, and if you care about Jesus, you care about men and women, and you will be. Now, there's some hard things in this book. There really are. We are and I haven't even gotten started. So he sets up his disciples, and then when they begin to follow him, large crowds begin to follow him. It says in chapter, or verse 25 of chapter 4, or in verse 1 of chapter 5, then Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he sits down, he speaks this Sermon on the Mount, verses five through seven, and it brings some principles about who we are and how we should live as followers of Christ in ways that are still so countercultural that we have to struggle with the thoughts of it. I mean, if you want to live in a worldly way, you should not ever read the Sermon on the Mount because God calls us to be people that are so distinct and different that that will change the world in his name. He starts with the Beatitudes, and I won't read all of them, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you could even go down to verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And then he begins to teach us, right, what it means to have the fullness of God's blessing in our lives. That's what blessed means. To have the fullness of God's blessing in our lives is to be humble, to be gentle to be willing to be persecuted in Jesus' name, to live for Christ like Christ and trust him in it. Then he goes on. He calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Once again, calling us to impact the world for the glory of the Father. He teaches us that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the strict religious leaders, we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Meaning our righteousness has to be his righteousness and not just good works of our own. He taught us that murder and adultery and other sins were the sins of the heart, not simply sins of commission. And by that I mean just because you're not an axe murderer does not mean you don't have a sinful heart with murder in it. 
Because he says, if you call someone a fool, you're guilty before the courts. If you look at another woman as a man with lust in your eyes, you're guilty of adultery. He's teaching us deeper things about who he is and deeper things about who we are in Christ Jesus and what righteousness really looks like. He calls us not just to hate our enemies, but calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He teaches us to give and pray in secret so that we don't call attention to ourselves and lose our eternal blessings. He gives us the model prayer so that we would learn how to pray. It's interesting, the other day one of our pastors said something to me that somebody asked him why we don't do the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Well, he gave us that prayer so that we'd actually learn how to pray the right way, not so that we were repeated in some sort of religious activity. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to me that some people want to check off a box in their religious relationship with God, and if we say the Lord's Prayer in church, they'll feel better about themselves. Well, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can go on, right? I know it. But do you know it? Do you get on your knees and go, Lord, you're my Father who's in heaven. You, you love me. And you're so worthy of praise, Lord God. You're so worthy of praise. How can I give you anything but praise? And Lord, would you just let your will be done in my life today? I don't want to have an agenda of my own. I don't want to set out on my own. I need you to be my director, my guidance. I need you to be my Lord. I, I want to honor you with my life. He taught us to pray so we'd pray not so that we would throw out a few simple words, and they're good. I'm not, not trying to slam scripture, but if this is the only way Christ ever wanted you to pray, how much are you missing in your relationship with Jesus? So he teaches us to pray, so we'll actually pray, and I mean pray. He told us not to be anxious because God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, and we're more important than all of them. How powerful is that? He taught us not to judge others, but to take the log out of our own eye. And then once we take the log out of our own eye, we can maybe help somebody with a speck in theirs. He taught us to enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through the gate of destruction, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Do you ever stop and say, thank you, Lord, for those truths that I need to hear and realize in my own life? Thank you, Lord, that I can look at people around me and realize that there are few in this world around us who are coming in through the narrow gate, and I need to be praying for people in my city Aren't you thankful that God teaches us things that sometimes we don't really want to hear? And then Jesus taught us to build our lives in obedience to the word of God so that our lives would stand firm in the face of trials and heartaches and hardships and fears. And he warns us not to live in disobedience because it's like building a house on the sand. And when the trials come, we have no faith in Christ and have not walked in faith in his word. 
our house is destroyed and it's utterly destroyed. Man, Jesus, he's not casual. His word is not casual. Who he is is truth and depth and calls us to the truth that's gonna set us secure in this life filled with chaos. Well, then we see his compassion and power displayed in chapters eight and nine. We see a leper approaching Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And the man was healed. One of of my favorite things in all the Bible. Here's a man that no one would get close to. It wasn't even legal for him to get close to. And he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus didn't just say, I'm willing. He touched him. Because there's only one that can make a leper clean. There's only one that can make a sinner clean. And you're not going to make him unclean. He's going to make you clean when he touches you. And what compassion and what grace and what mercy to reach out and touch the most despised among their community. The Roman centurion came to Jesus, another one despised in the Jewish community. He said to him, Lord, I have a servant at home who's paralyzed. Would you come and heal him? Well, Jesus said, yeah, I'll come. And then the centurion said, no, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of coming to my house. Just say the word. Say the word. I'm a man of authority. Soldiers go out when I tell them to. When my authorities tell me, I go out when they tell me to. Just say the word. And of course, he heals his servant. But Jesus says, I haven't found greater faith anywhere in Israel. Kind of shocking, isn't it? It's not about who you are and rank or in societal membership. It certainly is about who you know, though. Then he healed Peter's mother-in-law and many others in Capernaum. He cast out a legion of demons from a man who was cutting himself and breaking chains, living in the tombs, and set him free and put him in his right mind. Then he helped a paralytic man who'd been lowered before him. Paralytic man that his friends had brought, four friends. They cut open a hole in the, in the roof, and with the audacity of hundreds, they dropped this guy in front of Jesus. And Jesus goes, because of the faith of your friends, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and everybody there went, he's blaspheming. No one has the right to forgive sins but God alone. And so Jesus says, why? Why do you say those things in your heart? Which is easier? It's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven, for me to say you take up your mat and go home. And we all know which is easier. Words are cheap. But so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, take up your mat and go home. Now think about it. This guy's paralyzed. This guy's incapable of moving. And he gets up and he walks out. Because of the grace, the power, and the goodness, the majesty of our Savior. Then he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. But he did it in an incredible setting. This man had come to Jesus one of the rulers of the synagogues. Would have been really humbling for him to come to Jesus. But he comes and he says, my daughter's sick. 
will you come? And Jesus said, I'll come. But on the way, this precious woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years reached out and just touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says as soon as she did, she knew that she'd been healed. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And all the disciples were like, how could you possibly know somebody touched you in this big crowd? And Jesus is like, stand down, boys. Somebody touched me. And this woman, this, again, can you imagine what she must have been? She had to be frail. She had to be pale. She'd been sick. 12 years. She was probably intimidated by the thought of Jesus finding out who she was. And Jesus said, he says, ma'am, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so he stops and touches this woman. By the grace, she knew he loved her. I mean, can you imagine how she must have felt? But then they come from the synagogue ruler's house and they say to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. And Jesus said, let's just go on over. And he tells them, she's not dead. They're all mocking him and he puts them all out except for Peter, James, and John. And he goes in and he just simply says this, little girl, get up. And this dead child rose at his word. Are you getting the picture? Are you beginning to get the picture about what this gospel's about? Because it's not about what. It's about who. He's our healer. He's our compassionate God. And then he begins to teach his disciples about what it looks like to serve him at the cost of serving him. The first thing he does is he sends his disciples out to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he tells them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons freely you received, freely give. And of course they went, no problem, like all of us do. Like when we talk about going out and sharing the gospel, we talk about going door to door. We talk about taking our, our boxes out to people that, that need food and need a witness for Christ. We all go, well, sure, we can just go out and say things in Jesus' name and it'll be easy, right? Of course not. Can you imagine? He's sending them out in his name and he's telling them, man, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demons. You've received great things from me. Now freely give those things out in my name. And then you and I need to learn really, really quickly that God in sending us out as fishers of men, as sharing our testimony, is not sending us out in our own ability. Praise God. He cares nothing about our own ability. He wants us to live like he is alive in us and serve him because he has the power to work through us. He wants to get the glory from us. That's what he wants. But it's not optional. This is not optional. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to be sent out by him. You are sent out by him. And he wasn't afraid to tell you that it was going to be difficult. As a matter of fact, he sends him out and tells them they're going to go out like sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves. And then he gets a little more personal with it. He told them they'd be handed over to courts and be scourged and brother would betray brother to death and fathers their children and children would rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and they would be hated by all because of his name. 
But he told them, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you hear? I mean, sometimes I know we read the Bible for ourselves and we pick and we choose the things that feel good to us and that it's such a a crazy day to live in that we all say, you know, Just tell me the positive things. Have some positive energy. Have some, don't say negative things. Don't say hard things. My little heart can't take it. I want you to hear Christ. I want you to know he's worthy of commitment to the level where when you choose him, others deny you and reject you. I want you to know there's going to be trials in your serving him. Jesus said in John 16, 31, in this world you will have tribulation, but fear not. I've overcome the world. He's calling us to be life changers. He's calling us to be witnesses to the great glory and salvation of Jesus Christ. He's not calling us to be men pleasers. He's not calling us to trust in ourselves. He's calling us to trust him because we have the message of life for people. Like he had the message of life was the message of life for us. He wasn't finished teaching yet. He told him he hadn't come to bring peace. Can I say that again? The words of Jesus, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now those in Christ will have peace, but Jesus didn't come to make everybody happy. It meant that people had to choose between him and themselves, or him and the world. If a father chose him and a son rejected Christ, there would be separation. If a mother chose Christ and a daughter rejected Christ, there would be separation. He wasn't unclear about that, and we still see that today. Don't we? Then in chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We find through Christ's teachings that he's calling us to choose him as Lord and live under his lordship. He's not asking. There's some ways that Christ is incredibly demanding, and we recoil at that. Don't we recoil at that? We recoil at the thought of God being demanding of us. And yet he created us. And Jesus is going to die for us. He has the right to be demanding. Not only that, but as we follow him, he's with us. He moves in us. He blesses us. He protects us. He gives us wisdom. He shows off his great glory and power in us. And there's so many of us in this room that have never seen God's power because we've never, ever submitted to him and trusted him with anything more than we could handle on our own. And that's not who Christ is. And that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, Ruler. 
good, loving, gracious, powerful. He's worthy. Well, we go on to see some parables. Let me find the place where I'm at here. I probably lost it to some degree. I'll get back to it. All right. But anyway, he's speaking about the parable of the sower in this time of his ministry. And it's such a sweet parable. I'm not going to go over all his parables, but it's such a sweet parable. Right? He speaks about the sower of the seed who goes out and sows a seed. Some falls on the hard ground. Some falls on the shallow, rocky ground. Some falls in the weedy ground. Some falls in the good soil. And Jesus basically says that the seed that I'm talking about is the word of God. Such a powerful, powerful truth for us today because this is the way we ought to be living our lives, sowing the seed. We're going to share the gospel sometimes, the word of God, and it's going to fall on hard hearts and the devil's going to come steal it away. And there's nothing good about that in our eyes, but it's going to happen. Some are going to fall in the, the shallow, rocky soil The Bible says it's going to grow up quickly. And I've seen this so many times in my ministry. People that say they've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And man, they pop up. They show up. They're here all the time. They're doing everything. And all of a sudden, they're just gone. And you're like, what happened? Jesus said the persecutions of this world come. And because they have no depth, there's no root to them, they wither away. Some of them... The seed falls into the soil full of weeds. And the Bible says that as it grows up with the weeds, the weeds choke off the the word of God and it bears no fruit because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Does that resonate with anybody in here? I personally believe the church is full of people that the word has been planted in their weedy soil and they've never borne any fruit because they care more for the deceitfulness of the world and for wealth than they do about Christ. And I don't believe they're saved. I don't believe they're saved. I believe there's a radical difference between hard, hard ground, rocky ground, and weedy ground. Those three don't bear fruit. But the good soil, he says when it gets planted in a heart that's Christ's, the heart that's ready to serve Christ and glorify Christ, they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. You talk about a powerful message for the American people today and the American church today because there are people here that are delightfully thankful that they don't have to bear any fruit joyously thankful that they don't have to show anything about Christ in them whatsoever. Hallelujah. Somehow they think because they prayed a prayer, they tucked a ticket in their pocket for heaven, and now they're good to go. But that's not what Christ teaches. Bearing fruit is part of who we are when Christ is in us. Read John chapter 15 sometime. It'll confirm and verify that. The other parable this morning I'd like to share is about the parable of the wheat and the tares and how a man sowed good seed into his wheat field, but one night while they were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds, tares, into the field. 
When it started coming up, the man's servants found out there's wheat among the, or there's tares among the wheat and said to the master, should we just pull out the, 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 the wheat, the, the tares, the weeds? The master said, no, let them grow up together. Otherwise, you'll rip out the, the wheat as well. But the master said to them, and this is pretty crazy, when harvest comes, we'll separate the wheat from the tares. And Jesus said, the wheat are the believers and the tares are the unbelievers. And Jesus said, at judgment day, the tares, well, they would end up experiencing his judgment and his wrath. But the believers, they would shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, meaning heaven. It's humbling sometimes to just go through the overview of a book, isn't it? Because I'm quite sure that most of us would rather hear about the touching of the leper or the forgiveness of sins I've even had people tell me Jesus never condemned anybody. Jesus was always nice. He never said hard things. He never called us to anything. Jesus, Jesus is just this sweet grandpa in a rocking chair that would never challenge, would never call, would never demand worship, certainly would never condemn but is that true? Is that true according to the gospel? No. Now Jesus is Lord. Remember? Messiah. Son of David. Son of Abraham. Emmanuel. Well, as we move forward into chapter 14 we begin to see Jesus display his deity even more prominently. He feeds the 5,000 from a few loaves and a couple of fish. He walks on water. He healed a Gentile woman's daughter. He fed the 4,000 and healed large crowds of people who continue to follow him. Then in verse, or chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ the son of the living God. And all of a sudden, things begin to get real for his disciples. It's the most important declaration you're going to find in the scriptures. It's the declaration that says, we believe you are the only savior. And God, and Jesus said, man, that's so powerful. Flesh and blood did not make that, did not reveal that to you, but my father who's in heaven and so he says to you, man, you're so blessed that God would reveal that to you and that you would know the truth about me. And so they're saying, yes, you're God and we're gonna follow and you're the savior. They may not fully know it just yet because Jesus is about to tell them then, oh, by the way, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I must. And they're gonna arrest me. They're gonna beat me. And they're gonna crucify me. And I'm gonna raise again on the third day. And Peter says, Lord, this will never happen and Jesus rebukes him. He hasn't got it figured out yet because he hasn't figured out that Emmanuel came to die for the sins of the world. 
Well, then he takes Peter and James and John up the mountain. He's transformed before their eyes. His face shone like light, like the sun. His garments became white as light. And while Peter is trying to figure out what to do, so we built some tabernacles for you guys, the voice speaks out of heaven again. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. <laughs> I love that God had to say, listen to him. But God, once again, is declaring, this is my son. I mean, I want you to hear this. This is God's word for us. This is God speaking to us. This isn't optional. This isn't take it or leave it. Buy into this verse and leave that verse behind. This is God saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is about. He's my son. Listen to him. Humility. Dependency. Faith, they're required. In chapter 21, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey's colt with shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna in the highest. It's a little, they're literally crying out, save us, save us completely. The next day he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers and those selling animals saying, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. And Jesus is literally saying to them, pay attention to who I am. These guys are worshiping me, and they should. I am the Lord. I am the Savior. He's receiving their worship as he rides in on the donkey, fulfilling the prophecies about the Messiah coming and riding on the cult of a donkey. He goes into his temple where he dwells. And he kicks out those that are cheapening the temple and cheating people and keeping people from prayer and says, my house will be a house of prayer. He's calling people again. He intensifies throughout his life, throughout the gospel of Matthew and throughout his life, this call to see who he is. He is not asking what we think of him. He's not asking our opinions about him. He's telling, he's showing, he's demonstrating his love and his grace and his mercy and his power. And now he's riding into Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. And he's saying to them, I am God. Pay attention. Well, just like the devil came to try to kill the babies in Bethlehem, just like the devil tried to tempt him in the wilderness to get him to sin and deny who he was, the devil continued to work because the Bible says that the devil entered into Judas and Judas went and betrayed Jesus. And then a mock court tried him the night before he was arrested and they had to go out and they had to find those who would bring false testimony They came to the place where they said to Jesus, who do you say that you are? And Jesus said, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And they shouted blasphemy and condemned him to death and peddled him over to Pilate. And though Pilate knew he was innocent, Pilate found nothing to condemn him from Pilate was so weak and wicked and sinful that he condemned Jesus to death. And then the soldiers 
They took Jesus to the praetorium after he'd been scourged. His back was broken and bleeding and ripped to shreds and they took his garments off and they put a scarlet robe on him to mock that he would claim to be a king. They beat a crown of thorns into his head. They gave him a reed as a scepter. They bowed down in mock worship of him in humiliation of their maker. And then they took that reed and they beat that reed into his head and the crown of thorns ripped into his skull and blood flowed down from his face all over his body. And then they put his garments back on and led him out to Golgotha. And they nailed nails into his hands and nails into his feet and they crucified our king. And then he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died having become our sin, taking the punishment that we deserve, he died. The ladies looked on from a distance. He was dead. Joseph of Arimathea took his body down and put it in a new tomb, and the ladies followed. He was dead. Their hope was gone. And I can't even imagine I mean, all of this would be for naught. All of this would be nothing. His teachings would be nothing. His miracles would be nothing. His claims would be nothing if he was dead. But on the third day, the ladies show up. They're going to prepare his body for burial. But he's not there. He's gone. The angel appears, rolls the stone away, sits on it. The earthquake rocks the world and the soldiers fall down like they're dead. And the angel says to the ladies, why do you look for the living one among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. And the glory must have resounded throughout heaven and on earth. He's alive. So alive. He's alive. And he is who he said he was. He's Savior, and he's Lord, and there's no longer a doubt about it. And he tells the ladies, you go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. And they go, and they see him, and they fall down and worship. And he finishes up by saying to them, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And he says it again. Now go tell the good news. Go be fishers of men. Go be the salt and the light. Go let the good news go. Let it go. Man, this book is all about Jesus. It's not about us. The Bible is not a book about us. The Bible is a book about God and his son, Jesus Christ, and how we can know him and how can we can walk with him and how we can have life in him. It's so much about Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the healer. He's Emmanuel. He's the raiser of the dead. He's the one that teaches in truth and depth and strength and power. He's the one that calls us to worship him. He's called us out to be his children. He's called us out to be his church. He's called us out to worship him. That's what this book is about. It's about Jesus. And when you have him, you have everything. And when you don't have him, you have nothing. 
There's nothing apart from Christ. There's no hope. There's no strength. There's no security. There's no life after death. There's no forgiveness of sins. But there is in Christ for all who will call upon his name. For all. For those of you that are believers here today, why are we not heralding the truth about Jesus? Because we love him. Why not? Why not? It's really not about just simple obedience. It's simply about do you love him? And why are we not sharing that love with others? It might be hard. Yes, we're like sheep without or in, in among the wolves, but so what? He's with us. People need him. Did you not need him? Do you not need him now? Why would people not need him who don't know him now? How about we become a church that goes, it's about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to make it about Jesus. I'm going to make it about Jesus. I'm going to love him every day. I'm going to spend time with him every day. I'm going to worship him every day. I'm going to obey him every day. I'm going to find freedom every day. I'm going to find hope every day. I'm going to find peace every day. Man, the world has nothing for me. Why not? Christ is so much better. And some of you are here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Why not today? He loves you. He gave his life for you. Trust him and you'll be saved. Man, the book of Matthew. We can't get lost in it. It's not just about being good people. It's not just about God helping us in the trials. It's about a savior. It's about a Lord. It's about a God who's worthy of worship. His name is Jesus. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for the life you give to those who trust you. Thank you for the hope and the security and the peace and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace and the mercy and the love, and the forgiveness and the patience, and the wisdom and the guidance, all that come with Christ. Thank you, Lord. We need you. How I pray for those who have never trusted you that today they would trust you and be saved. How I pray for your church, Lord God, that you'd mold us and make us and send us into this world, Lord God, with the good news. It's all about Jesus. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.